You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast, The Game Plan, Thursday night, a little after 9 o'clock on the eastern seaboard. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Thursday night comes a, a game plan show that since it's a bye week, we wanted to do something a little bit different. So we've got Jason Staples and Greg Barnes with me here, and we're going to do some questions. I put a thread on the Inside Carolina Premium message board well, yesterday, I guess it was, and solicitation for questions from all our listeners and readers and watchers and all that stuff. And it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off for you. We will. We have quite a few. So what I've done is loaded in some questions. And, Greg, I don't know if you can see them in the chat on the side, but I'm going to throw them up on the screen, and we're going to start. We're going to get right into it, right into it. And I'm going to start with Greg Barnes on the first one. Mellow Lizard, Greg says, what or how much can the defensive woes be fixed during the bye week? And I don't like how that messes up my my look here, but I'll take the question down. But Mellow Lizard, what or how much of the defensive woes can be fixed during the bye week? I always go back to, to Roy Williams' uh, favorite comment whenever I asked about issues that were lingering, right? And what did he say? If I knew what the problem was, I'd already fixed it. Um, I, I think there's, there's some element to that, uh, meaning – you know, Gene Chizik and Charlton Warren have worked with this group for roughly 45 preseason practices when you include spring ball and then a couple weeks of practice. Can there be improvement? Yeah, of course. You're going to get better with each opportunity you go on the field. Um, I think to expect drastic improvement, improvement um, is probably asking a little bit too much. I think that the best-case scenario is for, for this group to figure out, okay, um, some of the obvious communication errors, I mean, you can address that. You can get better there. You can't get to be a, a great team that communicates overnight. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, Jason has done a very good job. I know Ingersoll and, and AJ have talked about some of the, the technique issues. I don't know that you can correct that kind of stuff in a bye week. I mean, that, that stuff that takes time um, to practice and, and all those kind of things. So, um, Yes, you can get better. Yes, I think we'll see gradual improvement. And I think people need to understand what we saw that first week wasn't very good, but it wasn't horrible. And then you really saw kind of a collapse in the fourth quarter at Boone. I mean, that was the worst quarter of defense this program's probably ever played, at least from a scoring standpoint. 
this program? Like, yeah. yeah, it's one like, of the like worst quarters quarters of play of anyone football. since John Heisman was coaching. <laughs> yeah, ACC, I guess you could say at least. I on, think right? Georgia Tech scored two twenty two. Uh, they had to have scored forty in a quarter, didn't they? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. since John Heisman, I don't know that there's been a whole lot of quarters that have been worse than that one. <laughs> uh, so yes, they were going to look better from that point against Georgia State. And Georgia State doesn't have the offense that App State does. And I think that's where people have to really be careful is because did Carolina look better defensively against Georgia State than they did against App State? Well, yeah, of course they did. That doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, compare what Granger did you know, the week prior against South Carolina. He was terrible throwing the ball. He was no Chase Bryce. Um, Notre Dame. They're probably going to look better against them a little bit because Notre. Well, I mean, we'll learn this weekend when Notre Dame plays Cal, you know, what they're going to do at quarterback because Pine didn't look good when he came in as a reserve, uh, and then Virginia Tech's not very good offensively. So we may be a few weeks away before we see significant improvement in terms of being able to measure it effectively and accurately. But you can get a little bit better each day, each week, and that's all Gene Chizik can do at this point in time. Jason, what do you think? I mean, I think they showed signs of life against Georgia State. Maybe I'm misguided, but I, I, maybe it's what the Sun Belt did. We talked about it earlier in the week. Maybe it's what the Sun Belt did outside of the Carolina game that made me feel a little better about the defense. But how much can you improve over a bye week in the middle of the season? I think you can. I think you can make some significant improvements, especially when you're in the first year of uh, of a coaching staff. Or, or a coordinator who is getting accustomed to what he can expect out of his personnel. Uh, so I think that's one thing is that you can, you can kind of go back and take a look at, okay, what have we done the last couple of weeks? Where, where are my strengths? That sort of thing. So from a coaching standpoint, you get a chance to kind of do some self-evaluation and evaluate your personnel. And then just in terms of being able to go back and really focus on fundamentals that maybe have broken down a little bit in those first few weeks. I think you can get better there. Beyond that, I mean, every week from from now on, you're just kind of hoping to to incrementally improve. And I think more than you know, just incremental improvement is is a bit of an uh, an over expectation. So, I mean, I do think that the defense can improve. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see this defense go from what we've seen to sudden to suddenly being a uh, you know top three or four defense in the ACC, which you know, honestly, I, I believe based on personnel, they, they should be in that range, but I don't think they're going to be that this year based on what we've seen. So, you know, that's a, that's a whole different ball game, but I don't, I don't think it's realistic based on the first couple weeks, uh, first few weeks to look at this and say, well, you know, they should just make a quantum leap in, in a bye week. That's just not, not realistic. Yeah. So they can get better, but they're not going to go from what we've seen to what we expected. In two weeks. Right. They're still going to fall short. I, if, if they reach what we expected, you know, after this bye week, if suddenly they make that leap, I'll be surprised. Greg, I mean, when you look at it, a lot of people are talking about the secondary. And let's call up a question. And again, I don't like the graphic I've got going on, but I'm going to throw this question up and chop your head off. Can we speak to the technique issues in the secondary? And maybe, Jason, you were all over that last year, but WHS 2012 says, can we speak to the technique issues in the secondary like we discussed last year with the OL consistently? I mean, how much of it is is technique? 
how much is it of it is just maybe not being healthy a lot jason dr strange love you take it first i think a lot of this is technique um you know i i I've not been, and as you said, I mean, I mentioned this last year, I've not been real thrilled with the technique at corner for a while. Um, And, you know, just in terms of basic disciplined footwork and also just certain things in terms of how they're doing things off the line of scrimmage and uh, just standard techniques of mirror how they're turning, some of these things. I'm not real thrilled with what I see in terms of the in, in terms of technique. Uh, some of that may be due to health to some degree. Some of it, I mean, I think both Grimes and Duck look a little bit a little bit over big to me. I think both of them have gotten maybe a little too heavy. Uh, so I've wondered about that. That both neither look quite as uh, as quick or smooth as they used to be. Duck has had a lot of uh, has had a lot of injury issues as well. And, you know, Grimes has not been fully healthy himself. So, you know, you can't rule that out as a factor, especially with duck, but um, I'm, I'm not happy with what I see in terms of the overall technique of it. One thing that drives me crazy is when they're in press technique and then they don't actually lay a finger on the receiver, like as a matter of just, technique like I get that you're mirroring and you want to be patient and not lunge and all that but you also want to get your hands on the guy you want to reroute him you don't if you're pressing and you give a guy a free release then what are you doing I mean I I, why press and you know at this at the same time I I also am a little frustrated by the off technique because I don't think that looks real good either there's there's a lot of gather steps and some of those things uh you know duck in particular looks very uncomfortable playing an off technique and you know last year with Jay Bateman Bateman was really adamant about playing a lot of press he he believed in it partly because of personnel you got these big long corners let them get their hands on guys if you can you know again they still didn't get their hands on guys all that much just as a matter of how the corners are, uh, their, their technique is working out. But the other thing that, that playing press does is it, is it forces the receiver to, to declare his release off the line of scrimmage. You're going inside or you're going outside. That helps give the safety some, a read on what, what, what he's going to see. It you know, removes some two-way go options, and it also simplifies some things for the corner. And they've been playing a lot of off coverage this year, particularly with, with Duck on the field side. Uh, Grimes has, has pressed more, but still has played a decent amount of off coverage. And, and I don't think that's helped them. I, I think that's actually been something that that's, that's something that they've done that I think has been deleterious to their approach. And if there is something that I think they can do to help right away is I think, I, I think that's actually going to more just straight press at the line of scrimmage with the corners to simplify some things, both for the corners and the safeties in terms of what they're doing. You may give up a, a couple plays here and there that maybe you wouldn't otherwise, but I, I don't think they've been good enough in off coverage to, you know, they've been, they've been letting guys sort of run by them in that situation because of, of some poor technique and reaction uh, in those situations to where I think you're not going to be worse off if you press more. So I think that's one thing that if I were evaluating this from their end, I'd say, yeah, you know, we probably should just press more 
even though maybe I don't like doing that as much, maybe there's some, some things that, that, that limits us on. That's something that we got to do. I, I, if I'm coaching, that's, that's a discussion that I'm having this week to try to, to try to get some improvement there. But like I said, if you're going to press and not get your hands on people, what are you even doing? So I, I, I'm a little frustrated in general by what I'm seeing there at the corner position in particular, especially given the, the level of talent from those guys. Yeah, and that, I think that kind of gets down to the, the nitty-gritty there. That was, that was very good by Jason. Uh, two points. Number one, Carolina has only given up one catastrophic play, which I think Gene lists as 50 yards or more in the App State game. Uh, however, they've allowed seven plays of 20-plus yards per game, uh, which is 123rd nationally. Carolina gave Not up good, five, Bob. Carolina gave up five per game last year which was not good either. No, that's bad too. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so that that says to me that, okay, maybe communication on the back end is okay because you're not having the, the massive breakdowns where guys are just running free. Although there have been a couple of times where uh, teams have not you know, capitalized on some of those opportunities. I mean, that, that, that happens. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that you've got guys who are – you know, Storm was a, a freshman All-America. Um, Tony Grimes was the number one cornerback recruit in the country coming in. And I just really haven't seen any improvement. Now, if the argument is, okay, well, both these guys are banged up, well, where's your development? Where are the guys behind them that are, should be ready to step in? They don't have to be as good as Tony or Storm at their peak, but you should have guys that can fill in as backups and be adequate. And we just haven't seen that. I mean, if you look at the, the PFF stats, I, I listed this out in my story earlier this week. There are 44 ACC cornerbacks who have played at least 50 snaps. Carolina has three guys in the bottom five of those 44 in terms of grade. That's, I mean, that is an indictment. Um, so those kind of things have to be, fixed quickly and that's that's what goes back to what i was saying earlier like if technique is so bad after i mean when you factor in first two weeks you're talking over 50 practices that they've they've worked on this stuff since the new staff came in mm. are you going to fix that in you know two or three or four days that's, that's a tall ask well and the other thing is that you're looking at 50 some practices since the since Chiswick and Warren came in but those guys have had the same position coach for three four years so I mean you're you're not just looking at 50 practices there with with a guy like uh like Grimes who's now in his third year how many practices is that I mean and that's a that's a five-star corner that is in the bottom five of the ACC he doesn't belong there. So this is, this is part of my frustration in, in watching this defense right now is in my opinion. And, and I, I, I put this in my scout reports before the season, both of these corners should be in the top, you know, maybe fifth or sixth in the, uh, of the ACC in terms of what they bring to the table tools wise. There's no reason that they shouldn't be, you know, you got 44 corners that have played that many snaps that, that both of those guys shouldn't be in the top 10 instead of in the bottom five. 
just in terms of physical tools and what they're bringing to the table. So something is disconnected there. Now, some of it I'm convinced is, you know, there, there were issues last year with communication between the corners and the safeties. Uh, I imagine that that probably has not been entirely resolved. And some of the things that you're seeing out there, there's still, you know, some examples of, you know, zone pass offs and things that are not exactly tight, but it's not just that there's technique issues. And there's, I mean, also there's been some business decisions that have been made in terms of tackling, uh, particularly from Grimes that suggests that there, there might be some buy-in problems there too. So, you know, I, there, there's a lot of frustration for me watching, knowing that these guys are pretty talented players and they're not, they're not playing to the level of their talent. And last year I said very similar things. And the year prior, I said very similar things about the offensive line that look, you got three guys that are probably going to play in the NFL and they don't look like it right now. And you know, these two corners are in that boat right now too. Jason, I have a question for you. I've seen this floating around on the board. Um, I don't, I don't quite get this, but I think we all saw some of the offensive line issues the last couple of years. And we saw how beneficial it was to have guys like Javante and Michael Carter make up for some of those miscues. So how is it that Georgia comes in and takes Stacey Searles as offensive line coach when they could probably have anybody in the country? So why do they do this? Yeah. Like well, what's think, the what could be the rationale there if there's some potential technique issues going on? Well, first of all, I don't think I, I have my doubts that Kirby Smart in making that decision actually went and watched North Carolina film and broke down and now he should. If I were him, he probably I would. Went and broke down the fundamentals of North Carolina and you know the last couple of places that Stacy Searles worked in terms of watching the nitty-gritty fundamentals. I, I doubt that. What he is looking at is the guy can recruit. There's no doubt about that. He's good to work with. He's got a reputation as you know someone who's good to work with in the industry, and that goes a long way of you're going to work every day with this guy, and you're going to war with this guy, and you know he's not super hard to work with. Uh, and he's had... He's, he's coached for successful offenses before. So you got a coach with lots of experience in lots of different situations who may have coached with a couple of your guys before. He's not, he's got a reputation as a guy who can, who, who, uh, who's, you know, good to have on staff and he can recruit and Kirby will place a priority above all on recruiting. Kirby's, you know, Kirby was one of the GAs at, at, at Florida state when I was at Florida state and, you know, coach Bowden's philosophy on a lot of things was the secret to being a good coach. The secret to being a great coach is having better players than the other team. Like coach, I can't, like I heard coach Bowden say this more than once and Kirby has said this in multiple press conferences the last couple of years when he was asked like, you know, what's the, you know, what, what was the difference? You know, they, when they blew out Oregon and he's like, well, we've got better players than them. And last year with South South Carolina, he's like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of really good players here that they would love to have. And, you know, he did said the same thing about Florida, you know, after they blew them out. It's like, well, you know, we've we've put a lot of effort into landing the best players. Well, Cyrus can recruit. 
And I think we see that with some of the talent that's on the roster with, at Carolina with, with the offensive line. I mean, he did not leave a bare cupboard for Jack Bicknell to take over. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of young talent on that roster at the, at the offensive line position, and that goes a long way. So you put all those things together, and I think that, that justifies the hire from that perspective. And they've got enough, you know, su- support staff that maybe they assume that they can help, you know, with other areas. But I do wonder, I, I've, I've suspected that, you know, Georgia's, it's going to take a, a year or two, but I suspect that Georgia's running game will actually, uh, uh, their, their overall offensive line performance will actually diminish a bit in a year or two. You won't notice the difference this year because they're still going off of what they've been coached, you know, but in the last couple last couple guys and they you know Matt Luke's a good coach so I think that's that's kind of how that works so at what point and this is really the crux of the matter I think for Carolina right now at what point does the player development Greg uh start to outweigh the recruiting acumen I mean that's that's like this hundred million dollar question right uh it is. It's a good question. I think there has to be, there has to be improvement, uh, significant improvement this year, because Mac knows what the the deal was last year. He knows where where Bateman, uh, kind of drew his line in the sand. He he wanted to make some staff changes, and so you you come in with Gene, and if Gene and Charlton hit the ground running, and this defense gets dramatically better, like they did back in two thousand fifteen. Well, that's no longer a talking point, right? That's just Jay Bateman, you know, kind of uh, trying to find a scapegoat. But if if there's some credence potentially, even though you bring in a new defensive coordinator and yet you're having some of the same issues, well, now you got to have a conversation. Uh, and so that that's what it really gets down to is how does this team progress throughout the course of the season? I mean, I think everybody wants to see this team get dramatically better on the defensive side of the ball because the offense is really good. And this is a team that could compete for the the Coastal Division title uh, if that happens. And so I think it's too early to say right now. Um, But I do think this is an important year for Carolina in terms of recruiting. I think last year we've already seen it a little bit on the recruiting trail where they're not firing on all cylinders like they did the past couple years. And I think the six and seven – season did that i think teams can go out and say look they've had a bunch of really good recruiting classes and they had a losing season last year with sam howe as their quarterback Uh, and that's that's a legitimate concern and so i I really think that um if if the record doesn't get better it doesn't really matter what you do recruiting wise it's going to hurt you on the recruiting trail and then it comes into Okay, now we've got to make sure that we we got guys that are coaching these players up so they can actually play to their talent level, and then you get back into the recruiting groove. It's an interesting dichotomy. Let's uh I got one more question from the message boards on this this defensive backfield deal, and if I can find it. Uh Double D Hill says, Jason. Are you able to tell how often the opposing QB is hitting his first read? I wonder if that contributes to the D-line not getting any pressure. Is that something you look at or you take into account when um, you are discussing or or sort of grading out or whatever the defensive line's performance? Because if quarterback three steps and his first guy's there, 
I don't care. Lawrence Taylor's not getting there. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do take that into account. Uh, you can usually tell. Now, the thing that complicates that is that the guy's first read is also predicate is also uh, dependent on pre-snap. So some quarterbacks will actually, you know, it gets tricky. But to put this simply, there are progression reads where you start one, two, three, no matter what. Like you're going to look deep, you know, look at your deep read and read deep to short or short to deep. Whatever, you know, there are different ways of doing this. And you're always going to start with one, potentially. But even there, you're usually going to start on one side of the field versus the other based on your pre-snap read. You see two high. Okay, here's my one high side. You know, here's my you know, one high beaters over here. My two high beaters are on this side. That's the sort of thing you often get. Uh, but there's also ways of marrying coverage read to, you know, early pre-snap coverage read to your, uh, to your progression so that, you know, okay, looks like they're in cover seven. And based on this matchup, read number one's almost certainly not going to be there. So I'm going to start with two with what would be two in, in a normal progression and two becomes my one. So you just get it out quickly. Um, better quarterbacks do that more frequently. And I think you've seen that some from, from uh, Drake may and how quickly he gets rid of the football. You see him correctly reading coverage and you don't see his feet re reset. You just see him hit the back and he's hitting a guy that, you know, he's, he's reading between two and he's going to really the second option, but he's doing it really quickly. Uh, and that's the other thing is that if you're reading coverage, you might be reading, okay, I've got this adjuster. Here's my, my, my coverage key. And if he goes this way, I throw to that guy. If he goes this way, I throw to that guy. So your first read is really two different guys, just depending on what that coverage guy does. So it gets a little bit complicated in that respect, but generally speaking, you can tell when a quarterback is throwing his first read based on whether he is throwing off of that initial footwork. So you'll see, you know, depending on the type of drop, if it's just a three-step drop out of the gun, you'll see one, two, three, fire. That means he's hitting his first read. Or if, you know, depending on the route, sometimes there's a three-step hitch. So it'll be one, two, three, hitch up, fire. That might be, that might be your first read. Uh, but generally, you can tell that, okay, there's a one, two, three, reset, fire. That's your second read. And normally, you'll get one, two, three, reset, hitch up, climb the pocket, fire. That's your third read. That's normally how you do it. You can tell by timing how quickly, you know, the quarterbacks do getting that out. And good quarterbacks usually have their, their feet tied to their reads. So you can usually tell, and if you know the concept that they're running, you know, you say, okay, well, that's a snag, and he hit here against this coverage, that's your second read. You can, you can go by that as well. But, uh, but yeah, I can, I'm usually adjusting for that when I'm watching at least the game the second, third time. Something, you know, there, there were some examples this, this week where I'm pretty rusty, I guess, because I, I missed some stuff, uh, you know, in terms of my initial evaluation. is like, oh, that's clearly on that guy. And I was just wrong. And, uh, you know, that happens – and, you know, I've got to I've got to get back and in, in, into full season form to be able to identify things quickly while I go. But um, but I misidentified some stuff this week on the fly that, you know, on the second and third and fifth and 15th analysis of a given play. It's like, oh, so that's what that was. And never mind. <laughs> so that happens. But uh, but generally you can tell it's called the babies, the baby factor. 
<laughs> yeah, or Greg, lack of Greg, sleep. <laughs> the, the, the baby factor. Greg, let me ask you a question from Shep Dog on the message board. Where do you see the most improvement in this year's team over last year's and going forward? Where do you expect the most improvement? And let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball. We'll flip to the offensive side after the break. Uh, you know, I think linebacker play has certainly been seems, – seems good to me. Seems a lot better to me, or at least more exciting. Maybe we'll say it that way. Yeah, I think last year, Seth Gray came on the second half of the season. And, and once he came on, you, you had Himmel uh, doing a lot. And you didn't really see that early in the year. And I think right now. Uh-oh, the Wi-Fi uh, monster's getting you again. <laughs> he'll come back he, he will blink back on jason where do you see the most improvement i think it really is the, I, I think it's the linebacker spot I, I i think and that's not to say that gamel wasn't a good player he was uh but i think the overall consistency in terms of how quickly those guys are triggering and getting downhill and handling coverage that that's where the that's where the difference has been right <laughs> he's cracking me up I'm going to take you out of the picture, Greg, until you get back solid. <laughs> I got tickled, man. I'm sorry. Let me, find the, let, me find the, let me find the right thing for us. Uh, so, you know, Power Eccles said, Gray, how do you think that can improve over the next – over these two weeks, what can they – how will they be better against Notre Dame than they were against Georgia State? I mean, what do you well, think I think the recognition of what concepts they're seeing can still improve. I mean, there are times where they're they're slow to get in the gap. Uh, you know, uh, folks who've watched my videos will will recall uh, the goal line play against FAMU, for example, where Power is in a position where the the guard pulls, and if he hits the gap just just right on the heels of the guard and shoots that gap, that's potentially a tackle for loss. But he sort of he recognized the step and then didn't quite get himself in the right gap to be able to get downhill fast and kind of got blocked off a little bit and that's something that both guys are still they're they're just a, a hair slow in terms of that recognition sometimes fall step that's something they're still improving but I do think that that that's something that we've seen some improvement with I think I think it's pretty evident that Gene Chizik has been helping with that that position group but there's been a decent amount of attention placed on getting that group just right. And then uh, I think they'll continue to get better there. But I think that's the biggest thing is getting downhill in the correct gap and making plays at or beyond, behind the line of scrimmage a little more frequently rather than making plays, you know, at the line of scrimmage or, or you know, beyond the line of scrimmage for, for gains. Those guys getting downhill a little quicker into the right gap is something they can still improve on. Good stuff. Let's uh, take a break. Talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Sponsored of this podcast. Great friends of Inside Carolina. And they're great friends of you, the premium subscriber. You get 10% off your everyday order. They got a ton of stuff. You can get all the NIL stuff for the basketball players, jerseys of any kind, and shirts and, and T-shirts and sweatshirts and whatever. You you went to the School of Journalism, go to Johnny T-Shirt and get you that shirt. Woo. We've got some in our house, actually. But Johnny T-Shirt takes care of you for everything, all your Carolina needs, whether it's home gating, tailgating, 
or anything, go see them on Franklin Street. They're alumni-owned and operated. And if you can't get to Chapel Hill, go see them online. They'll ship it straight to your door and get 10% off your order. Let the national guys pay the bills. It's about 935 on the east. We're waiting for Greg Barnes to come back from the Ethernet Ether. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Jason Staples. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals, presented by YouTube TV, continue on ABC. All right, 9.36 on the East Coast. Jason Staples and Greg Barnes on the Game Plan Podcast. Um, Greg is somewhere. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're doing an Inside Carolina mailbag. We're going to flip it over to the – to the uh, Greg, you could have just said, man, I'm done, and just told me you were leaving. <laughs> we, we're going to flip it over to the uh, – offensive side of the ball and obviously jason we could talk about drake may ad nauseum um and i saw him talking to matt leinert today um, the, the kid is a a phenom and he's starting to get the national attention but let me ask you this <laughs> it's hard for me not to just say i told you so every time his name comes up <laughs> hey you nailed it you absolutely nailed it i'm gonna bring up hester hill's question do you expect to see a more three or four three or four tight end sets? I'm not sure how they can do four tight end sets, but is there ever a time where we'd see all three of those guys on the field at once? And will Longo bring back the 22 sets? He ran a lot in 20. And then I'll give Hester a third question. Let me ask you the third and get them all in. I'll leave the question up. With, Down, with Downs returning, do we get to see Downs and Paceur in the backfield or on the field together? So last question first, I do think we're going to see some some formations and personnel groups where you're going to see Pesor and, and Downs on the, on the field at the same time. Um, you know, they're big on getting their, their most productive receivers on the field all at once. But I, I think you also have to recognize J.J. Jones has been pretty dang good the first few weeks. So, you know, he's he's done his, his business as an outside wide receiver. And, and uh, you know, you, you've had really I mean, you've had three young receivers that have played well. Uh, you know, Blackwell's been good. So uh, you'll see it, though. I, Downs and Pacer will be out there some. And then, you know, as far as the three tight end look, I don't think we'll see much 22. I might be wrong there. I, I think with the young young backs, uh, they're, they're probably more likely to use, you know, more single backs still with, a, with you know, if they're going to go big, they'll have the extra tight, extra tight end in there. Uh, because Omari and Hampton and, and Hood, those are guys that you can put them out there and that's a big back. You know, he, he can he can run power uh, without that. But the, the benefit of getting, especially in the goal line, 22 stuff, I don't think is there for this team. Uh, the way that it was with, say, Javante and, and Michael Carter, it might be yet. It might be next year um, with when those backs are just a little older. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some. Uh, three tight end looks, but I think the way that you do that is you have uh, Copenhaver as a, as more of your inline blocker there, and you might have uh, Morales as either on the other end on the inline or at m- more of an H back position, and then I think you split uh, what, what they may what you may see is uh, that you see uh, eighteen as your 
sort of hybrid position where he might be lined up in, in a goal line. You line him up as the wide receiver out there with two tights on the field inside. So you're forcing teams to compress against the box and you're getting that one-on-one against your big six, six target out there. That's, that's, that's the sort of thing I wouldn't be surprised to see. And, and you probably don't even run out of that. You actually, you, you go up in the air there uh, to, to get your, your stud pass catching tight end wide receiver hybrid Nesbitt the ball. So I wouldn't be to see some of that stuff. And then you can, you know, play around with once you get that thread out there, you can play around with, okay, now you're going to move Nesbitt in motion and, you know, do some split zone type stuff, or maybe you have him in a, in a tight, uh, you know, tight split, these sorts of things with the other guys on the field. So I think there's some utility to doing that in short yardage and in, in goal line, just to get some of those guys on the field and use Nesbitt in particular as a mismatch. So I wouldn't be surprised, uh, but I don't think it's needed either. So, you know, we'll see what they feel is needed, but I, I, I would be experimenting with that if I were Longo for the, for the goal line. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. Greg, the question was, uh, do you expect to see more three tight end sets given how those guys have played? And also, um, could we possibly see Downs and Pesauer on the field or Pesauer on the field together, given what Kobe's been able to do in Downs' absence? Uh, as for the latter, sure, because Josh Downs worked quite a bit at outside wide receiver this offseason just to be able to get him in different positions uh, to make defenses work harder to defend him in terms of bracketing and those types of things. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Downs slip outside occasionally and then bring uh, Pesor in for, for those opportunities. Uh, it's also a matter, and, and Jason kind of hit on it, but it's also a matter of uh, they look pretty good right now offensively. And, yeah, you're going to face some better defenses. But Georgia State's not bad defensively. I thought they are solid. Map State, they've, they've always been pretty good. Not elite. Map State held good. Texas A&M to, what, 150 yards. Yeah. On 38 uh, plays, mind you, but. <laughs> right. But that, I think that's kind of the thing is uh, it's not like he's in desperate need of mixing things up. He can and he will a little bit. Uh, but if it's not broke, don't don't try to fix it too much. Yeah, I mean that that App State Texas A&M game is going to be for somebody is going to be like the Army Oklahoma game for somebody else. Um, Texas A&M had 38 plays. That's incredible that they had 38 plays. They only scored seven points against the App's defense, and they in Carolina put up 63. Just mind blowing. Carolina also had more than thirty-eight plays. <laughs> My gosh, that, that game. But that goes to show. Up. That goes to show, though, that that Carolina's defensive performance against App was not as bad as it looked in the moment. And look, don't get me wrong; it was horrible. It was bad. But watching Texas A&M get pushed around by App for four quarters. Now App didn't throw 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 it around throw it around the yard like they did against against Carolina and they didn't you know score all those points, but they did have drives of and going off the t- off of my uh, memory here it was like fifteen plays fourteen plays twelve plays, eleven plays sixteen plays and eight plays in that game. Texas A and M couldn't get them off the field because they could they uh, they handled them up front, and A and M's got some players they're young. They're puppies, but they've got some players on the on the defensive line that you'd expect to be able to handle uh, what App State does, and they couldn't. So that goes to show that, you know, 
App State up front is no joke. That was the biggest thing from that game to me is how App State manhandled Texas A&M on the lines, I thought. I mean, yeah, that was that was, that was honestly crazy. that was shocking. That that was shocking, and you know, I knew A and M was was young on the lines, but I mean that, and you've heard my mantra over the years, you know, grown man versus eighteen year old five star bet on the grown man, but this was a case where you had some eighteen year old like nineteen year old serious five star like top two or three posi- at their position in the country really good talent just get pushed around by those mountain men who are you know in their fifth and fifth year in the program and uh and again the reason AM wrote ran 38 plays is because app state held onto the ball they couldn't get them off the field i mean and it's not like AM only ran 38 plays because they uh they held onto the ball themselves their longest drive was four minutes and like 23 seconds or something like that they only had two drives over 250 because <laughs> App State had the ball the entire game, which, again, if they're doing that to Texas A&M, it, it is a little bit reassuring to Carolina fans who are like, what is up with Carolina's defensive line there? Well, you know, it wasn't good, and the technique needs to improve a lot, but, I mean, they've got company that, you know, really talented company down in College Station. Yeah, it is, uh, it is interesting. Let's, let's move on. Proud Vet 56. Ask the question. I'll start with you first, Greg, on it. Uh, with Drake fumbling the last two games, could that be a concern? He was down on the Georgia State fumble. Um, but, I mean, is that is that a concern? I, when DJ Jones was carrying the ball, I was looking at the TV going, high and tight, man, high and tight, man. It's going to get punched out. But with Drake, <laughs> is the, the consum- and sure enough, I mean, it was like it was fresh loaf of bread. But uh, is Drake's putting the ball on the field any concern for you? And Tony Baxter, um, it's relevant to the discussion. We appreciate the comments. Go ahead, Greg, on Drake. (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, I think fans need to realize the days of doing a lot of hitting and tackling in the offseason are pretty much over. And when it comes to quarterbacks, that never happens. And so, yeah, he played a little bit last year. This is really his first rodeo of getting uh, experience, getting hit, and those types of things. And I think it's just a learning curve. Um, if it continues throughout the course of the year, okay, maybe it becomes a concern. But I think at this point in time, he's just got to get used to it. And the only way he gets used to it is playing in games because he's not going to see that kind of contact in practice. Um, he's three games in. So uh, not, not a concern for me right now. Any concerns with Drake's performance so far, Jason? We'll get this one out of the – I mean, he's been great. Not really. No. <laughs> I'm not concerned. Uh, you know, there are going to be growing pains, and I've said that from the beginning. I mean, he's going to have some games where he's not as, he's, he's not as dominant as what we, <laughs> what we saw those first couple weeks. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like watching – I mean, you're, you're watching a guy that's, you know, playing – uh, you know, pretty close to the level that that a guy like Jameis Winston did in his redshirt freshman year, uh, and you know that's 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 pretty good. So, and when you're watching a guy like that, you're looking at it and you're going, well, you know, he could be could protect the ball a little here, but I mean, yeah, that's a top five pick. <laughs> Needs to say it's fascinating to watch him play. I mean, the the competitiveness. Is just an interesting thing. Let me jump in. We'll have a couple more offensive questions, but let me get Nick Bailey's question out. I'll throw it up on the screen. Uh, 
after three games, would anybody like to change their prediction, preseason prediction, final record? I believe we all had them three and zero after three games, didn't we, folks? Only producer yep. John, who's on, who's not here, had them losing the app. Any any changes? I had them ten and two. Let's get it. Let's let's discuss it. Look, the the offense is better than I thought it would be. Uh, the defense is a good bit worse. And that's pretty much where we are. Um, I don't. I don't know that we've seen enough out of the other teams thus far to to think that I'm going to change anything. I, mean, I still think this team, if if they don't get better defensively, uh, maybe they lose a game or two more. But with the way Drake and and the running backs have played, I think the offense can carry the load, kind of like last year. So I, I'm not changing anything at this point in time. Jason, you're sticking with it. I, I like Greg's point there that nobody else, no other teams really has shown me any reason to want to change anything yet. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with him there. It, it, I, I would stand I, – so I had him at 8-4 and four or 9-3, and three, uh, you know, probably 8-4 and four being most likely. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd still stick with that. I, I don't I, – I, I see enough warts that I, you know, I can see four losses really easily. Uh, but – as long as Drake Mays at quarterback, they're going to be in every every game. So you know that's I, I at three and zero, they got to find five more wins to to get where I think they will. And you know that I think Georgia Tech should be one. I think you know they've got a couple more on the, on this schedule that should be wins. Yeah, FPI has Carolina going five and four the rest of the way. So and that would hit my number. There you go. I, I'm, I'm going to leave mine the same. I don't care if they win 63-61 or 2 nothing. And I saw a 7-5 game in uh, my son's first game in Keenan Stadium was 7-5. Uh, John Bunning beat Al Groh. And uh, I think it was Al Groh. Wasn't he at Virginia? So ugly. Yeah. That was 0-5, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, 0-5. So, I'll take it. Win's a win. I, what's, what's the saying? Just win, baby. Uh, WHS – 2012, I'll get the second half of his uh, question in right now. Great. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you because it's relevant. Speaking of the OL, is there anything in particular they're doing better this year technique-wise, Jason? Yes, multiple things. Earlier. All right, just sort of detail that a little bit. One is I think they're – I mean, just as simple – so I'll give you three things. One is their overall – just their stance, the, the level of detail and, and correct stance at the line of scrimmage is better. You can see that. Uh, second is I think they're doing a better job in terms of their their initial step and their first and second step, which is something I really harp on. I think that's super important for the offensive line. Uh, I think their overall steps have been better. And the third thing is I think the most important is they've handled twist the twist game and, and, and stunt game better so far this year than they did last year, particularly on the interior three. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can give some of that credit to Gaynor, who I think has helped solidify that interior three. And, you know, last year, center – Center was tough because they had they had a lot of injuries there, um, and guys were playing hurt. But this year, I think they've done a significantly better job of picking up twists and games up front and, and passing those off and communicating up front. And that that's that's been noticeable in terms of May being more comfortable not having pressure straight up the middle in his face every time somebody you know runs a twist. So I think they've done they've done better at that. They're still not perfect. They've still got a, a ways to go. I mean, I think Mike Ingersoll would say that for sure. But uh, I think they've been they've been significantly better in those three areas so far than they were last year. They struggled some early against Georgia State, but like you said earlier, Georgia State can play. 
Greg, what do you mm-hmm. think there on the offensive line? Has Bicknell been as big a upgrade um, in a short time he's been there that maybe we expected or you expected? Uh, I, mean, I agree with Jason. I think I think especially the twist game is clearly better. I mean, there's a lot of times guys seem like they're just kind of running free the past couple of years. But I, th- I really think more than anything, having a healthy center has made significant improvement Huge for this difference. group. Um, I don't think people understand how much Brian Anderson and Kieran Johnson were banged up last year. I mean, Brian was playing in some games he had no business playing in because he was banged up. They didn't have anybody else. Uh, and, and Corey has come in, and, and Corey's a player. And the fact that they have two guys at center that are completely healthy makes a significant difference. Everybody else is very experienced. I mean, this is a, a veteran offensive line, probably the, the most Carolina's had in a long time. And then you add in some of the, the technical improvements that Jason mentioned, and I think it's pretty obvious that this group has played better thus far. Uh, they're going to be tested against Notre Dame. And then Notre Dame <laughs> – has not won quite yet. That defense is legit. And so that, that's going to be a good test for them. Yeah. And, and I'll also say, I think Asim Richards has looked better in pass pro. Uh, I think his, I think his, his pass sets have been more square and his, his overall pass set in terms of his kick has been better. So again, that, that ties to footwork and, and some of the little things there. I think that's been significantly better. Jason, speaking of Notre Dame's legit defense, how painful was it? And, and don't make this the Florida State podcast, but how painful was it to see LeBorn be the guy that was shredding Notre Dame for Marshall? Not painful at all. I'm I'm, I'm happy for the kid. Uh, you know, it, it didn't work out at Florida State. He had, you know, there were some off the field issues there uh, in terms of just respect for coaches and, and some other things that he had to learn and mature. And he took a year off from football to graduate. So he graduated down there at Florida State and then transferred after not playing, a, not playing a year. And I think that was really good for him to get away from the game for a year. Uh, and he stayed in shape. And I'm, I'm really happy to see him do well. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, he had a really, really bad knee injury, which cost him some time. And, you know, some guys respond to injuries differently. And with him, it, was, it really made a difference. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really glad to see him do well. It is. Uh, it is there are not too many success stories. He seems like he might be one of them. And, and, yeah, I saw him running up and down the field against Notre Dame. I was like, ah, Florida <laughs> State could have used him. But, yeah, everywhere is yep. not for everybody. And so yep. I'm glad It, it, it was not going to work down in Tallahassee. Crazy thing is his recruiting class, you think about that recruiting class was Cam Akers, Kalon LeBourne, and Zaquandre White. Those were the three running backs they brought in in that class. And, you know, Zaquandre White was the leading rusher for South Carolina last year and is in the NFL now. I mean, that – that was a crazy good running backs class that year. Yeah, it's good to see him him get somewhere where he can do it. And Cam Akers, uh, whew, his injury last year hurt me bad in uh, fantasy. Who, who, Greg, who surprised you in the ACC thus far this year? Duke. Duke and Syracuse, <laughs> maybe. Chris Phillips throws up Duke yeah. and Syracuse. I, um, Duke? I mean, Syracuse was sneaky good last year defensively. They were just kind of a mess offensively. But what Elko has done, I mean, uh, that's pretty impressive to do what they did against Northwestern because Northwestern may not be great in terms of talent. They are well coached and they are scrappy. Uh, so, so to win that game, I thought was pretty impressive. And look, you look at their schedule, it would not surprise me whatsoever for Duke to be undefeated when Carolina comes to town. Not that, not that Duke's going to you know, be that big of a threat, but I think that's been a pretty impressive pit. Pitt is exactly who we thought they were. 
Um, Clemson, I'm a little surprised that the offense hasn't progressed anymore. I mean, DJ kind of is who he is. Um, but I thought there'd be better improvement there. Miami is what I thought they would be. Uh, I think people will learn that that Mario uh, is an updated version of Butch Davis and that he wants a very stout defense and he wants a very conservative offense. And that's just how he, he is. Uh, so the fact that they won last week, what, 30 to seven, I think there'll be a lot of games like that. Um, so we'll have to see exactly. I'm curious to see how they play Saturday night in College Station. That'll be interesting to see. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, nobody, I mean, state, 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 right? Unimpressive. I think they could lose Saturday night pretty easy. So the ACC is wide open, boys. Florida State yeah, has I, looked good. Let me give a tip of the cap there, too, because I, I watched the LSU game, and uh, Norvell's done a good job. It's taken him a while, but I, I thought they, they looked really good in that game, even though it was a crazy finish. <laughs> it's a yeah, really. wild I'm finish. They did kickers. everything to lose that game. They, they, yeah, they, and but that's the first time in years that we've been able to say that Florida State actually looked like a well-coached team through yeah. m- through most of that game. So that's that's been a very long time. Uh, the other team to me that has been really surprising actually is Virginia because uh, they've been a mess offensively. And you know, you look, you you would expect given who they returned offensively, and especially at quarterback. I mean, he, prolific quarterback, and all, and he's he's not looked good. Uh, they so, lost all you know, five starting offensive linemen. True, but still, I mean, they've yeah. they've had it rough. And uh, and and to your thing about uh, about Clemson, interesting thing there with them is their their offensive uh, their offensive system. It's not just DJ Uyunglele that uh, that that you can blame there. You look at what they're doing offensively. You know, they they've kind of gotten exposed the last couple of years for being really, really, really over simple and relying on athletes. And then when they don't have, you know, a T Higgins or a Sammy Watkins being thrown to by a, uh, you know, a Deshaun Watson or, a, or an elf, uh, you know, things look pretty different. And all of a sudden, you know, they've, they, they've struggled. Well, they doubled down on getting simpler this, as far as I can tell. And that, that is a little surprising instead of, you know, expanding to, to address some of the, some of the, um, limitations that they might have they they've they doubled down on going you know on what they do and getting simpler uh, uh, time will tell whether or not that's the right call for them but uh, that that's been interesting to me let's uh let's get ready to get out of here it's 958 on the east jason what you got coming this week um clearly carolina no game this weekend you got any more um i guess any more we're not doing a day after podcast too by the way i'll be on a boat um so do not uh do not expect to join me and Buck at eight o'clock. But what you got coming for Inside Carolina before we get on the game plan, legitimately the game plan a week from the night? Um, so one of the things I was looking at doing uh, was was actually evaluating some some corner uh, some corner play and comparing some of what they were doing scheme wise on the corners in terms of of press and, and bail and press and off uh, looks compared to last year and and how comfortable they look in that. That that's a kind of a tricky tricky thing to do in the, in this kind of thing in the limited space that we have and, and not using all 22. So 
that's sort of an aspiration that I have for maybe being able to do that uh, over the next uh, next few days. But that uh, I've got a couple other things that I may do. But that's the one I'm wanting to I'm wanting to see if I can find adequate uh, examples from each year to be able to to highlight. But um, I also am going to uh, look at how they did use more coverage variation in, in the uh, Georgia state game than, than it looked like they, they, they did not play much cover two against Georgia state, which uh, is, is interesting given Chiswick's taste. So I want to highlight some of the different looks that they used in that and how that, how that impacts things going forward as well. So uh, those are probably the two main things going into next week. Greg Barnes, uh, you promptly corrected me in the, in the private chat, we will be Wednesday of next week. Um, letting all the inside Carolina people know as well. Wednesday of next week for the game plan live since Greg Burns is out Thursday. And, Jason, I hope your schedule aligns with that as well. I'll make it happen. That yeah, shouldn't be a problem. Just to get Greg Burns on the show. Uh, Greg, you got us a stat, like a bye week stat? Putting you on the spot. You usually got one. I don't. It's the bye week. I, I, I got one for you. I all got right. one for you, Tommy. How many, how, many teams, how many teams in the country right now are 3-0? and One. I all know right, that we, we I'm can, all over we can leave that. With that one. <laughs> one three and O team. Drake May is what leading the nation in yards and passing. I mean, it's just incredible <laughs> for all the angst that's going on about this Carolina football team. And I get it. Uh, Forty points in fifteen minutes, actually twelve minutes, um, will get you going. But, but I, I do think those things work together, though. I, I think if Drake May had come out and it looked like an average quarterback. I don't think there would be as much um, uh, concern about the defense because I think people realize that Drake May is the real deal and that the offensive line is playing better and that those freshman running backs have potential. And once the wide receivers get back, look out. And so all they need is a competent defense. They don't need an elite top 25 defense, which is never going to happen anyway. But I think that's the that's part of it. They're like, look, if, if Gene can get this thing moving quickly, I mean, maybe this team really can win the Coastal. But there has to be significant strides made defensively regardless of the record right now. But you can only win the games in front of you. They've done that. Kudos to Carolina at 3-0. Uh, a couple of years ago, they only won two games. So. <laughs> yeah, really. That, that, that Folks tend to forget that. But uh... – Greg, let me ask you a question. Hold on, last last remaining question. I saw somebody ask a press conference. And I'll just uh, paraphrase it. Is there any way to get microphones into the hands of the reporters in press conferences at Carolina? When you were there covering for 15 years, when was the only time you saw a microphone in a question questioner's hands was probably at NCAA tournament, places Correct. like that. That's it. NCAA tournament is really about it. Now, at the pro level, it's a little bit different. Because they have to be, and they've got a lot of money, and it's easy. Um, it's just not done by most schools in college. And you know, North Carolina had a uh, had a press conference room on the fifth floor, valuable real estate. And so now they're they're using that for. So I'm not sure if they've decided exactly how they're going to use that, uh, but they've changed the the media room to downstairs in the hall of honor. And I assume, yeah, once once the whole building gets finished in the next year or so, they may move it again. But that's just kind of where they're set up right now. Um, it is what it is. 
it, I know it drives fans crazy that you can't hear the questions, but ultimately what matters is what the players and coaches say. And uh, that's Carolina is aware of the, the desire. Uh, it's just a matter of trying to get it done. It's, it's easy. It's not as easy as it, it sounds. Unfortunately, we've had those conversations in the past, uh, but they were aware of it and trying to provide the best access as possible and try to get things streamlined as best they can uh, just, just a work in progress. And it may be, maybe a little while for that gets sorted out. I had a, uh, I had a quip on the, the questions that were being asked, but I'll let it be. That was, that was a topic for last week and a couple of weeks ago, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's been the game plan podcast sponsored by Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com. Uh, it's been a special time. It's a bye week. So everybody Go enjoy get your- their Saturday. Go get your swim trunks and your flippy floppies, Tommy. <laughs> it better be King mackerels and uh, some fish to eat. Boys, it's been fun. Take care. Inside Carolina will be back next week with all the famous content. Remember, Wednesday night for the Game Plan Live, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, and I will be with you Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. We'll talk to you then.